0: playwright a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play my name is ryan Heyman. you can call me h and today unfortunately q is going to be uh well is gonna be have to, he's gonna have to sit out this week he's he's feeling a little under the weather so we have another q in his space this is a. Uh, um thomas quintel from the uh sorry not quintel <laughs> <laughs> pretty close though actually i mean as far as last names go <laughs> i know i was really upset
1: when i found out there was someone else with uh with a q
0: in the in the crew i was like oh yeah. i'm not unique anymore <laughs> this is uh thomas Quilfeld from the cane stable rather <laughs> yes hi guys well um Let's, uh, let's give a little bit of background on you. What is your general way in when you're playing video games? What are the types of games you enjoy and what is your connection to the industry?
1: I think I just, I, I'm 35. I started playing when my dad got us playing on the BBC Micro. So I kind of remember really old Computer games, not really really old, but sort of quite mm. old, and Game Boy and consoles during the nineties, um, and just mainly single player stuff. Never really fell into multiplayer, and um, just a general gamer. I guess I played quite a lot, and then around two thousand and nine was around the time I st- I got into the the start working the music industry, and then also. Sort of um, in parallel started something awakened in me about the artistic potential of video games. I think I played Flower on the uh, PS3 and it was my first kind of indie ish game. Um, that had something different to say that I had personally played. Um, And yeah, and since then, it's been a a course of gradually learning more about the video games industry at the same time as working in the music industry um, and and simultaneously getting more uh, sort of finding chasing down more interesting gaming experiences still mostly single player my final my favorite game was final fantasy 7 back in the 90s and i played half-life 2 and and some of the obvious ones obvious console games but um last 10 years i'd say a sort of pretty pretty boring standard mixture of the of the sort of famous indie games and Fez and I don't know Journey and that kind of thing and also the big I still love a big console game um like recently Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Resident Evil 2 and, and stuff like that so so I'd say my big blind spot was probably multiplayer stuff or or very small and um, i come to the video games industry mainly well, we're working with laced records which puts out video game soundtrack vinyl um laced started sort of 2015 2016 with um stuff like enter the gungeon and hotline miami so uh, and then a series of uh, Devol- devolver games um and i sort of started work around the time that the Hotline Miami vinyl was shipping. And then in the last 12 months, we've just been absolutely hammering AAA soundtracks uh, like Bloodborne, Devil May Cry 5, Resident Evil um, uh, remake and Resident Evil 2 from 1998 and the, the rest of the Resident Evil series. Um, so yeah, so I sort of became part of the wider Cane and Rinse network, I think 2018, if I remember uh done a few bits in 2017 before that and yeah with an angle on games music that being my primary love and I guess my my main scholastic area of you know hobbyist research in the last
0: 5 to 10 years perhaps that will inform the type of uh game that you choose to put forward I guess we'll we'll see when we come to that but as a guest, we like to give you the option of whether you would like to pitch first or whether you would like to go kind of second. How do you feel? Do you feel ready to kind of burst right out of the gate or do you kind of want to see how things are done?
1: No, no, definitely burst out of the gate. I guess I'm a burst out of the gate kind of, kind right. of person.
0: <laughs> Great. It. Well, let's uh, let, let's get to that then. Um, you can go ahead and start your pitch and then from there, once you're finished, with the overall general idea, then we'll have 10 minutes to kind of workshop it.
1: Excellent. Okay. So um, I had a, I had a bunch of ideas that I've just scribbled down over the years, none of which are any good. Some of which are, are frankly um, offensive. So I won't mention those. Some <laughs> of them are just puns, you know, or, or half half-baked titles. Um, but mm-hmm. that I guess the one I thought the most about um, came to me when I had really bad indigestion and I was sort of being kept up at night. And that's sometimes when some of the best ideas come, when you're just, you know, you're in for a 4 a.m. Um, lying there awake. Unfortunately, it's not that original, but it, it, it felt cool to me. And just to preface this with the uh, with the note that I, I came up with this idea before Sekiro or Ghost of Tsushima had even been mm-hmm. announced. So, so my idea is a sort of part RPG, part procedural narrative thing, part stealth platformer, part character action, and a, and a little bit of immersive sim. So the idea is that uh, uh, if for anyone who's played Tenchu, the first level of Tenchu is this sort of fortified town governor's mansion thing. It's a pretty common um, setting, I guess, for, for sort of feudal Japan um adventures so a sort of walled town uh, uh, this might just be the first level it might be that the whole game is based in this one location by day uh your character is moving around the town like in hitman so you're you're not nobody's attacking you you're not in any kind of danger you're gathering information you're speaking to people around the town um and you're uh, basically doing planning so that you might carry out a night mission later on um, and there'll be, my idea is there'll be two phases, there'll be like a day phase where you're gathering information, bribing guards, finding out about back doors or, or trap doors or traps or things maybe doing some minor kind of fetch quests or, or ways to assist or, or get under people's skin to, to work out what you need to know about the guards Uh, what you need to know about your target, that kind of thing. And then by night it would switch to you actually executing the mission and it would switch to much more of a Tenchu, kind of um, Mark of the Ninja, um, Assassin's Creed vibe, where you're in the same town but it's night time so other people have gone to bed but the guards are still up and you're trying to infiltrate a central, secure governor's mansion or something like that. And the goal might be assassination or it might be to kidnap someone or plant some evidence or steal some treasure. I think that one might actually be procedural to some extent so that that it's not a definite kind of... It's not always you're going in to kill somebody. The idea is that you'd be trying to move in stealth. You're aiming for the smoothest possible infiltration. Um, and uh, actually, when I thought of this game, I was thinking I was playing this mobile game. Cannot shadow shadow something, and it had this really cool mechanic, lots of wall jumping and stuff like that. So I guess your character would be quite uh, uh, nimble and able to get up uh, uh, various architecture within reason. Not like you could just fly straight over the roof. But if you, I'd quite like things to have a lot of weight and consequence. So if you get into a fight, if you're discovered and you get into a fight, I'd quite like the fighting to be quite heavy and uh, uh, and weighty and meaningful and only a few hits is going to take someone down. But also perhaps because it's a stealth-based thing with a, a kind of objective, I think maybe you could have some kind of rewind timer that um, built up during the day. So the more preparation you've done, the more rewind meter you get during the night. And if you do muck up or you get discovered you could just rewind a little bit so that you're sort of back to stealth and if you do get discovered and your plan is foiled you have to try and escape alive that's all you have to do at that point point. and if you die the the whole scenario resets you come back as a new character who might be another member of your clan or your family or something several years later the town has changed all of the Information you gathered the first time round is now no longer relevant, and you have to start the process again. So, if you if you if you mess up the execution of the actual mission itself, what you want to do is get away alive, so that you you, you the knowledge you gathered during the day means you could try again another night or something like that. I'm not quite sure. Right. So it's kind of overall a mixture of Hitman 2016, a bit of Assassin's Creed, lots of Tenchu, Mark of the Ninja, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and I guess. Sekiro and Ghost of Tsushima, in part because it's it's feudal Japan, or maybe feudal Japan is too obvious and done, so maybe it could be somewhere else interesting, Southeast Asia or something like that.
0: Okay, cool. Let's um, let's go ahead and start the clock there, and we have 10 minutes to workshop it. So one of the things that I always like to think about is kind of the risk-reward balance. Um, I know for this type of game, this type of uh, heavily preparation-based game, I always uh, I always tend to over prepare and uh, if I'm given you know the amount of time to to spend preparing just to make my my next little bit of gameplay that much easier then I'll go way above and beyond whether that's grinding in an RPG or in this case uh, it looks like there's quite a bit of kind of prep and uh, prep work you can uh, set the Set the stage before you end up going into the gameplay section. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of a couple ways to balance that, maybe set some parameters around that. Uh, I think the most obvious would be you could always have a um, you could always have a time limit. You know, there's a certain number of days until some invasion and you need to assassinate a leader before they go off and and, you know, pose this this threat or perhaps. Uh, there was a, a pitch that we did fairly early on in the playwright run in which it was kind of a casino heist hmm. you would spend as many days as you want infiltrating the casino kind of like Ocean's Eleven style and kind of scoping out the cameras and learning the guard patterns and everything but the more time that you spent there beforehand the more likely you were to be recognized yes. and uh, yeah. you know they would start to to get a sense of who you are so when it came to actual time for execution then you know, people could pick you out from across the room because you're the person that's been spending so much time in the casino lately. So um, what kind of limiting factors do we want to put on the game to make sure that people don't just spend months, you know, preparing for a super easy victory at that point?
1: Yeah, I think that sounds... that. I was just thinking that before you said it, was just that the more... Like uh, Disco Elysium lately, uh, as I understand it, has a thing where you shouldn't exhaust dialogue options. You know, you shouldn't go into every dialogue tree because... It will actually end up with a negative outcome for you. So it kind of forces you to choose. It forces you down different paths, whilst also suggesting that no path is quite the right or wrong one. Um, I was also thinking a bit about Rogue Legacy, the idea that you're coming, you're you're doing another run, and you might have some sort of uh, handicap. So as I say, if you if you don't get away alive, the idea would be that you come back as a different member of the of the team and maybe you are, you have some disadvantage that uh, I, I i was going to say something tropey about. Maybe you have a disfigurement, but of course that would be uh, uh, not very appropriate, but you could have, there could be something about you or your, your, some rumor about you had reached the town in advance or some proceed, some uh, randomly chosen disadvantage that you have that meant that, okay, this time around uh, people, a certain, you know, Marketplace people won't talk to you because they uh, uh, think you're a robber, or rumours come to town that someone's come to kind of try and con people out of money. So you might have fewer intelligence gathering mechanisms, depending on mm. who you, who the character was that you'd you'd been given. I mean, if you're going to do a period piece with sensitivity, you could go into uh, gender roles and race relations and things like that, but that would be potentially dicey territory but if handled correctly, um, could also be important to say something. Perhaps uh,
0: perhaps the, um, I want to say the efficiency or perhaps the amount of of care you give previous missions can affect you going forward. If you execute somebody particularly brutally in an early mission, then you'll have more of a reputation. Maybe people will be Uh, kind of like in metal gear solid five if you keep shooting people in the head then guards will start wearing more helmets Mm. and so you know maybe there's a. although uh, it it seems to be like saying that it seems to kind of punish people who aren't as good at the game as those who could execute the kind of hitman silent assassin uh type of run so presumably it would be rewarding the best players with uh if they could make it look like an accident, and they wouldn't uh, raise the cautions of the of the other leaders that you're out to assassinate or whatever it is that you're you're doing, so I'm uh yeah I'm not sure if that seems like a fair mechanic that would really encourage players who are struggling to do better.
1: I think there's there's something to be said for um, patience being rewarded by an, a smoother ride. Although of course there's there's always the type of player I think myself included who'd rather be patient and. Um, screw themselves out of an interesting gameplay scenario by being so overcautious or so stealthy that it wasn't fun. Yeah, I don't know. I think this. Uh, I. I. I'd, I'd feel like there should be less of an emphasis on it being you. There being one character. I'm quite taken with this um, Watchdogs Legion idea of mm. being able to slip into lots of different shoes in terms of how to approach a situation with different skills and. The more I think about it, and the thing is, I don't even play particularly procedural games at all. Um, I just, I've never vibed with a roguelike or, or something like that. It's not my my bag. But I think if it was presented in the trappings of a kind of um, uh, expensive single player, um, you know, maybe even like one of the clockwork games like Hitman, I guess Dishonored uh, to an extent. I think I would in, enjoy just a few variables um, quite a lot to, to force me to mix, mix things up. I mean, that is something they're getting towards, even with something like, I can't even remember, I've just played Spider-Man, I can't remember if Spider-Man does this, but just forcing you to, giving you lots of gadgets and tools, but finding interesting ways to force you not to rely on a single method or not to get too comfortable. I know that's what they're talking about with um, Doom Eternal, we're currently in the, the um, hype cycle with that and i think a lot of the focus for the developers there is about deliberately punishing players not necessarily for being bad at the skill-based shooty part of it but but for being conservative in terms of only focusing on one tool or one uh, method for getting things done but how to kind of help less able players in in terms of the fighting and stuff i'm not quite sure i think i think i like the idea that they've done loads of preparation mentally they'd got a good map of the the town maybe there could be some special map assistance or or eagle vision or whatever it is that helps the player use the imagination of the player character in having a map laid out and if you've learned where guard patterns are you can pull that up in a kind of eagle vision thing and and sort of know in advance where certain um, security uh, uh, things are going to be. Not not entirely sure that. But, but basically saying, you did loads of preparation and you wanted to be patient and stealthy. You'd still have a rewarding experience and get the job done. Um, but also it could be fun to be, a, if you were a speedrunner or you wanted to do it fast and dirty, that could be quite fun as well.
0: So you also mentioned that there was an aspect of uh, moving from generation to generation instead of just kind of retrying the same uh, the same scenario twice, so a yeah. level of procedural generation. I think the f- first time that I've seen that done was in Infinity Blade, where you'd be playing kind of the child of the person that was the previous adventurer. I know that also is in Rogue Legacy, and it feels like the kind of thing that would have been... Uh, inherited from early computer video games but i've uh i've just not encountered any of the games in that category that uh, have used something like that but um are there uh are there other um, uh, one of the things i'm always curious about when that comes around is does the technology evolve or are there kind of a, a denotations of a passage of time or is it Just kind of a a nice excuse to kind of mix up the guard patterns and such.
1: No, I think, um, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm (laughs) this would be quite an expensive game to make. I'd quite like them to be able Mm -hmm. to do, to both have the local townspeople be quite characterful. And have relationships with each other, and arguments with each other, and their neighbours, and have colourful personalities. But also, it it employs something like the nemesis system to remix all of that. And then, if you do come back as a you know another member of your family, and it's it's ten years later or whatever, fifteen years later, that maybe some of the architecture has changed, some of the um, and how that affects the security of the main compound as, as well ages the buildings or something or you know something new a new guard post has been built and also if there was an old market you know an old stall holder um, or a middle-aged stall holder and then you come back 15 years later and they're now an old person and maybe they still have that grudge with the the stall holder next to them and maybe you can still kind of you know inconvenience their rival in order that they'll tell you that one of the guards secretly hopes to marry, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you can can maybe glean nuggets of information. It'd be quite cool. I mean, I'm asking for too much here, but I quite like the Sherlock Holmes games idea of um, um, synthesising pieces of information to create a new possibility. So it'd be quite cool Mm -hmm. if you could learn, instead of it's just like mini side quest, okay, now this gate will be unlocked. It could be like mini side quest, oh, you learn that one of the guards name is this and he's in love with someone else and then another piece of information you can learn oh she actually loves his buddy uh who's also a security guard who works on his same post and once and only if you learn those two pieces of information you could use that to your advantage to maybe stoke up a love r- rivalry so they start arguing so you can uh more easily slip past the front gate or
0: something like that right so we've uh we passed the 10 minute mark let's go ahead and close that one down we'll uh leave it open to the community if they have anything they want to add to it of course but uh for now we have to give what whatever we have a name so if we have to name this game at where it currently sits in production what would we what would we title it i think cloak and dagger for me that sounds good actually I think that that fits nicely.
1: I don't know if they use daggers in Feudal Japan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know if they use daggers in Feudal Japan, but like I say, it doesn't necessarily have to be set there.
0: All right, that will be Cloak and Dagger. And we'll move on to my pitch for today. Uh, I'm bringing in a twin-stick space shooter flying through computer code, essentially. And so as you blast enemies, stray bullets could uh, also hit the words in the code. Which would break apart just like uh, you know, the Space Invaders barriers. And as words are destroyed, the mechanics that they control within the game would change in response. Ooh. So it's a way of kind of breaking not only the game and kind of a Baba is You kind of way, but also um, trying to kind of mix that with a more kind of action oriented space shooter. So. I'm going to go ahead and start the clock there.
1: Well, you say stray bullets, but is there an element of you're deliberately, you might deliberately on a run, try and break the game in a particular way so that an enemy type didn't have shields or whatever?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's games like like Hack and Slash, which is kind of a Zelda type game in which you can reprogram elements of the environment. Uh, I think there's elements of that in the magic circle, but um, games where you can kind of use a... Uh, graphical representation of the code base to your advantage to try to kind of get the upper hand
1: now would you want um, ala super hot or many other games would you want a kind of overarching story that played with the idea of oh you're in a game and you can control the game and that kind of thing or would it be a pure purer arcade
0: experience perhaps I think there is a um maybe a certain joy and innocence to framing it kind of like a a typical 80s shooter with its own you know very simple space war star wars ripoff type of story and the characters slowly start to realize that you know they have strange inexplicable control over the world but they can't even really begin to grasp the Uh, the reasons why this would be happening because they don't know that they're game characters i don't know i can go in a lot of different directions with that i came across a game a couple of years ago there was a student
1: game um where the whole point was it was a platformer started off i think it was started off with 8-bit graphics and then later levels Mm -hmm. were 16-bit graphics and it was supposed to sort of be a love letter to the different eras of uh, platformers going through and the graphics would upgrade as as you went through the game. You could do something like, I mean, maybe not going quite as far as a Yoko Taro where you're literally switching gameplay types as you go, but you could switch up. Um, there could be some surprises buried in later levels, you know, where you you destroy the right bit of code or you manipulate it in some way that the game radically changes or the color palette inverts or something to really, really mess with you.
0: Yeah, I think, obviously, there would be uh, parameters within the code that would affect the graphical presentation as well. I guess another, perhaps, point of inspiration for this is uh, in Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolt, there's a level that takes place, uh, presumably, within the console that you are playing it on. And so, (laughs) as you kind of ram your vehicles into different computer components, then parts of the graphical displays would, would flicker on and off. And so, you can affect the colors or the geometry of things and it was it was just a little kind of visual gag but obviously we can uh we can go much farther with that you know there's um certain words that would be advantageous to break there would be certain words that would be uh pretty hazardous you have to really avoid shooting the words that that you know display i mean there could be a phrase that breaks the computer display altogether and so you'd be playing blind at that point
1: yeah, that that would be really fun. I mean, how dedicated, how much freedom would the players have to utterly and completely break the game? Like, would there be would a speedrunner be able to quite early on um uh, uh, break the code in such a way to make themselves invincible and all of the enemies die in one hit from like the second level to the end of the game?
0: Uh perhaps we'd have to think about, I mean, probably the most kind of god mode type of uh of Uh, settings would have to be buried uh, and um, really kind of like hidden and well protected yeah from uh, by other things that would perhaps be yeah I don't know Uh, I'd have to to think about that but maybe you know it would be very dangerous to go for the most advantageous uh, and maybe they would have reset on level changes anyways and so you know it wouldn't be like a long-term solution perhaps or
1: it could be something you have to unlock uh something gated so that you start off with very mm-hmm. few um options of manipulation available and then the more adventurous you are at unlocking things the more adventurous things there are to unlock earlier on mm-hmm. um, and and that sort of i don't know yeah are you thinking uh, a shmup or geometry wars t- uh, style
0: I really like the way that Geometry Wars controls, and I think that that type of control method is a smarter choice for this one because you have that really like analog control over exactly where you're shooting. And I think if you're trying to avoid shooting very specific words, you need that level of control. But also, you know, the kind of shmuppy scrolling shooter, uh, I think would fit well, as well. So maybe a combination.
1: Mm. So, so yeah, going in and out. Well, maybe the, the, if there were shmup sections, those would be more pressure, time pressured. If the screen is scrolling, more time pressured for you to work out the most efficient ways to break the code you need to get past this particular level. Whereas mm-hmm. the, the more open Geometry Wars... Sections could be a bit more freeform and a bit more experimental. So, for instance, you could start a shmupy level or a hard laser level, and you can't damage the enemies at all. So then you're forced to just kind of bullet hell, keep dodging until you can change the code in the in the in the right yeah. kind camera. Of, would it would it be a funny game? Would it, would
0: it be more matrixy vibe? Oh, I'd imagine it would keep somewhat of a light tone. I think to keep things from getting frustrating because it feels like it would be so easy to really paint yourself into a corner that you would need to have some level of uh levity to try to lighten the, <laughs> lighten the mood a little bit keep people from getting frustrated
1: yeah you could have like a um a rabbit button that you find and you're like right turn everything into rabbits or mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh something like that but then it stops you achieving some other goal maybe um mm-hmm. so how would the how would the actual shooting i mean would they literally be bullets would it be a game of fewer bullets that you're firing because you'd need to be a bit more thoughtful about what you're actually hitting rather than, you know, you hold down the twin stick and it just fires this hundreds and hundreds of...
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I don't want to... I think that being able to aim without firing, maybe you have to hit a button to fire or hit one of the triggers to fire so that you can aim but not necessarily commit to firing off a shot because I don't want people that, you know, accidentally uh, destroy a vital piece of code, you know, completely unintentionally aiming for something else but I, I do want them to have to be careful about it and I want it to feel as much like a kind of frantic space shooter as as possible the more authentic this can feel in the veneer of the game that it's trying to be I think the more effective it will be in the uh, subversion as well
1: it might be cool, cool, quite cool to also be able to grab things and move things around um, but only as a in a very special circumstances so if you didn't want to destroy a piece of code but you wanted to Move it in some way, um but then mm. of course you wouldn't be able to fire while you're moving it, and that would put you in danger. And there are sort of gameplay scenarios that could happen around that. But it, I, I like the idea of like you seeing a really juicy. It's a bit like the sphere grid in Final Fantasy X or something. You see a really juicy one that you want, but there's a whole lot of stuff in front of it. But of course, in your uh, if you're destroying that stuff in front of it, you might be so tempted to get that juicy thing whenever it is get to it that you're just like oh i'm just going to destroy all this stuff in front of it but then that radically you know you're careless and then it radically changes the level or the enemies or your own you know suddenly your ship mm. goes super slow because you've just uh kind of greedily blasted your way past uh, uh, past something
0: important without
1: would it be c- color coded some of this code
0: uh yeah because i i think uh, that's pretty um, honest to coding, anyways. I think it would make it a lot more readable. But at the same time, you know, real code is color coded these days within compilers. And, and languages? Would you? I mean, is this a game that would have to just be for English players to a degree, or uh, end coders? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, we're not actually building the game, so we'd have to make that decision later on in the process. But you know, I'm not sure what coding looks like in other languages, <laughs> to be honest.
1: Well, you could play with it as well. You could have, you could make mm-hmm. the super, super hard, most challenging levels could have words from other, from mixed, mixed up words from different languages, and you'd have mm-hmm. to kind of like learn them on the fly like you'd see a word that looked like a particular function that you remember from english but it was in german or something and you'd have to be is that the right one i don't know hmm. you would have a split second decision uh, and would there be i take it bosses with the sort of give gimm- each one with a gimmick a code-based gimmick to them
0: uh yeah perhaps i mean as the game goes on maybe the um maybe the bosses can kind of get a greater sense of what's going on and start to turn the code against you. And so then you're kind of playing both sides of this metagame.
1: You might have to defend uh, a particular...
0: Yeah, 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 potentially. Once they catch on, then uh, yeah, that could be a really strong way to go about it. But uh, we're coming up on time. So let's uh, let's close that down and let's come up with a name for this one.
1: I mean, there's a cheesy name in something like Data Blast, but that's terrible. Code... I could just think of terrible like code and
0: you could do like codebreaker, I guess, because you're breaking apart the code of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. I think that'll uh, I think that'll suffice anyways. Let's let's go ahead and call that codebreaker. Close that one down. Let's move over to the community. This is Our third and final pitch of the day coming from those who have written in. Let's see. Today we have a pitch from Scott F, who wrote into our website who said A game where you play as the omnipotent NPC that needs to guide the player, who is now an NPC, in a quest to save the world. Essentially playing Zeus from the original God of War. You could also have to stay sufficiently out of sight in order to preserve the NPC player's power fantasy. (laughs) Uh, But if you don't intervene in some way... They'll be too challenged and give up on the quest. You need to provide the NPC player with just enough challenge to feel like they are the only ones in the world that can stop the threat and avoid making it so easy that they feel like the mission you've sent them on is little more than a side quest. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and start the clock on that so you one.
1: You've got to massage the ego <laughs> of, the, of the player. I, I never played Left for Dead, but was there a... No, there wasn't a mode. Was there a mode where you could be... You could set where the zombies were. And I haven't Perhaps. played this game.
0: Dungeon Keeper, the, the, where you're putting down minions. There's a game on Apple Arcade called Takeshi and Hiroshi, which is a game in which you play a uh, game developer, an aspiring game developer who's working on an adventure game. And, uh, you know, he's a high school student or something like that. And then his, his real kind of young, impressionable little brother who looks up to him is really eager to play this game and the older brother doesn't have the heart to say that he hasn't programmed in vital functions yet and so essentially the um, he's going to pretend that the game is finished let the little brother play and then live program it via <laughs> a laptop that's hooked up to the the iPad that he's playing it on So, so you have to lay the track in front of the train right right exactly you have to set the enemies that are going to attack the hero and not overwhelm him but at the same time you know give him enough challenge to to make it feel rewarding at the end and so you know it, it's it's framed with some really lovely kind of stop motion cutscenes in between every level it, it's it's a really cute game i don't know if i really get on with the gameplay elements that much it feels a little bit like gambling without knowing all of the information that you need to know but um it's a it's an interesting idea and i i do like this idea of not being the main character and having to remain kind of uh, unnoticed.
1: I mean, would you be a floating, would you be sort of floating around in no clip mode and you just, you can just fling, you know, a couple of enemies here, a couple of enemies there, a bit of an ambush? Perhaps.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I also like this idea of just being a person in that world and having to kind of like do everything in your power to try to guide the character in a certain way i mean there's a certain element of like lemmings to this as well if, <laughs> yeah if all of the things that you could set in a player's path affects the choices that they make in a predictable way then you can really specifically funnel them towards a uh a hopeful positive um outcome
1: but if you didn't if there's something if, if if you had a particularly i don't know cynical or masochistic streak maybe the one of the you know the quote-unquote bad ending is that the player comes and you're the final boss but you have to let them win to fulfill their mm-hmm. their power fantasy so you sort of lie there bleeding and dying and be like oh i'm so happy <laughs> but putting in enough of a fight to make it feel like they've really earned it yeah <laughs> I like, that. I like that a lot. I mean, there's a there's plenty of, if you took the framing of a god of war, like, a, you know, a, a, a uber macho hack and slash, I can see that working. There'd be a lot of opportunities for subtle and unsubtle humour about gaming and gamers and rage quitting and, you know, blaming the, the input or blaming the enemy placement, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, e- even more mm-hmm. fun might be like a dark, uh, a sort of, Something less hack and slashy and more where you a slower paced thing like a Dark Souls, where you actually have because of course God of War so those early God of Wars are so fast and and frenetic, whereas a, a, a Dark Souls is a bit slower paced. So as if you're playing this character, this godlike character or whatever, you'd have a bit more time to see whether whether i mean even just took take the frame of dark souls and just be able to do on the fly enemy placement could be could be quite a lot of fun
0: perhaps you have personal relationships with other characters uh maybe a character that is a that is a glitch so to speak and you have to keep the player from noticing them otherwise they'll report the glitch and the glitch will be patched out you know you have to Uh, To keep that from happening,
1: or you could be a um, like the like um, Onion Knight Siegfried, no No, Siegmeier from Dark Souls. You could be pretend to be an NPC who's kind of just sits in one place, but does appear, you know, at different points in the game. Or like in Toy Story, where the 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 toys are kind of innately programmed to just freeze whenever a human's around. So Mm -hmm. if you if you if the player comes near you, you just have to freeze and then choose the right dial, you know, innocuous dialogue options i also like the idea if there are like um, merchants along the way if there's a vital key to get to progress through the game and it's a bit too cheap to buy in the shop or the player already has the money before they arrive there the first time you could just get the merchant to bump up the price to give Mm -hmm. them a bit of an extra challenge they have to go off and do a an extra fetch quest or grind mission to come back and be able to afford the crest of the three-headed you know foot beast and <laughs> to get through the door I think, uh,
0: partially relevant here there's an interesting game called dr Lengiskov, the tiger and the terribly cursed emerald a whirlwind heist which came out a number of years ago uh, i think it's a free download or yeah. like
1: it's this is uh, cr- almost crow's crow's, cheap i think it was crows 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 first game
0: after Stanley parable right and so um that one you're playing a player going into a game but the game is already occupied by another player and so you have to kind of wait backstage while that player finishes the game and you can kind of wander all of these kind of behind the curtains areas and uh and kind of see how the game is made almost like it's a live kind of stage production with with props and with Uh, lighting and and weather cues and stuff like that it's it's really cute but it's a way of um way of kind of demystifying the the gaming experience in a way Mm,
1: now i liked it a lot it's it's very stanley parable i mean there but it's it's it was still funny and i really like their crows 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 take that meta humor all throughout their email marketing their emails are some of the best newsletters i've ever received mm-hmm. ever they're so insanely written and they're so they break they break the fourth wall third wall second wall every wall uh until you don't even know and they make you stupid youtube videos you don't even know what's real or what the point mm-hmm. of the email is sometimes so um, I think I think it sounds like this this game would need to be a fantasy setting, probably like a God of War yeah, or Dark yeah, I Souls. I think that makes sense. I think because I think you need to be able to have reverse boss fights, maybe where if um, the boss is too too hard, you have to like I don't know, whisper in the boss's ear, like slow down a little bit,
0: or you know, give them a chance to you know. Maybe you have cheese. to fight the boss yourself to try to kind of weaken it a little bit,
1: <laughs> or or you have to say to the boss, "Get stuck behind this gravestone," so the player can cheese, mm-hmm. cheese you for a cup, you know, for half your health bar. Or mm-hmm. you you want to um to provide more of a challenge, you might want to like stick a thorn in the foot of the dragon to kind mm-hmm. of trigger its second, you know, fiery hellish second phase. There's a lot you could do with that. I'm not quite sure how you move around the world. I mean, do you think do you envisage it, envisage it as a you're a third, you know, third person character action character, but you're you're literally you're st- it's part stealth based, you are trying to stay out of the view of the mm-hmm. of the of the quote unquote player character. Yeah, I think that makes sense for the story being told. That would be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. Um and plenty of opportunities for funny funny writing.
0: Mhm. For sure. Yeah, I, I mean the uh Types of kind of standard world of warcraft quests that you could uh employ here would be uh would be a lot of fun yeah that's right we're, we're coming up on time anyway so let's go ahead and move into the titling phase
1: i mean it'd be great to have something behind the behind the scenes but behind the npc or something theater related with that idea of being behind the scenes um backstage but some sort of hint that this is a fantasy epic backstage epic
0: or like a non-playable creator Something that kind of fits into that NBC uh, acronym, non-playable constructor.
1: The invisible hand. Is that what they call you know like a a, a play on the economic Keynesian economic right. the invisible hand of the market? But you're you're the invisible hand.
0: Yeah, I think that that makes sense. I think that fits in with what we're doing. Uh, let's go and call it the invisible hand. And again, thank you, Scott F. for sending that one in. He submitted that to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. If you would like to submit a video game idea to us in the future, you can do so by going to uh, that website or emailing us, playwrightcast at gmail.com, or you could uh, even tweet us, at playwrightcast. Anyways, uh, we would like to um, encourage everyone to go over to the Canon Rin's website, where we have a number of great podcasts, including... Can and Rinse on Mondays, Sound of Play on Wednesdays, this podcast on Thursdays, and then the Sausage Factory on Fridays. And um, we'd like to, again, as we always do, thank Protodome for the uh, theme song that we use, which is called Hello World off of the album. Blue Noise plays us in and out every week. Uh, TQ, would you like to plug anything that you're doing or draw any attention to any of the projects that you're involved with?
1: Well, I mean, I work for a commercial company, so it's a bit silly to sort of say buy buy Laced Records stuff. You either want it or you don't. You know who we are. Um, We do do a blog uh, mostly about video games music, but I'd love for more people to come and read that. It's a little bit difficult to find. It's lacedrecords.com forward slash blogs forward slash news, or you can just get there through the the main lacedrecords.com. Um, and we do interviews with composers. It's not all just based around lace products. It's, it's all sorts of different things. We just did a listicle um, that Ryan, you contributed to about mm-hmm. um, memorable indie game moments, uh, people's favourites from, from over the years, um, so which is really fun to put together. And there's lots of different contributors to that. So yeah, I really love people to come in, and check that out. Uh, they can find me uh, on Twitter, uh, with a really complicated uh, handle actually given my second name it's just at t quill which is at t q u i and uh, also at laced underscore records and you'll you'll catch a lot of the the content we post on there
0: All Right. well thanks again for hopping in while our regular queue was uh was sick for the weekend <laughs> no problem <laughs> but anyways um yeah, that will do it for today. To take us out of the show, we'll give a kind of miniature pitch.
1: This might be one of the more offensive ones, so I won't say anything offensive. How about a fighting game, right? But it's called mm-hmm. Holy War, and you're, all the, the fighting characters are all major religious... Um... <laughs> Like prophets and the Buddha and Jesus Christ and all of this, except there's certain religions where you're not supposed to depict
0: things. So I'm not quite sure how that would work. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, then we'll catch you all next week. Thanks for tuning in.